Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Ed Hallback Show, where we tell life stories with sarcasm and smart-ass remarks. And today I have a, a really special guest with me today. His, his name is Mr. Dan Vickstrom. He knows a lot about World War II in the South Pacific, where I'm proud to say my dad served on the USS Pennsylvania. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ed. Nice to be here. Yeah, yeah. So we met through a common friend of ours, Rick Reed, who does the Boomer Buddies podcast. And when, as Rick and I became more friends, we got talking about the old days. And uh, then we got talking about older days yet. And I said, oh, yeah, my dad was in the South Pacific on the Pennsylvania and he had some stories to tell. Not many stories, mostly one or two liners that he'd say, you know, uh, that happened on the ship. And uh, and that would be about it. I think in his later years, my little brother heard more stories than myself. But but I'll, I'll throw in some one liners there and some zingers. Now, do, do you have history, Dan, with uh, World War Two? Uh, well, my. I three uncles uh, served uh, on my mother's side, served uh, during the war. Uh, uh, her twin brother uh, was in the uh, the Pacific Ocean, and uh, he was a uh, some kind of a, a landing craft driver. And, oh, for uh, L- LST. Yes, and he uh, he had some. Uh, I guess they call it PTSD now, and. Uh, Spent a uh, better part of a year in a hospital in San Francisco after the war um, because it, it just had to be some things he'd seen and uh, couldn't unsee. But anyway, um, they did uh, serve. Uh, my two other uncles uh, were older, so they served back in the States, I believe, in more of an administrative position or given or given officer positions, I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, we all are, as being baby boomers, we all have uh, parents who were of that generation. And, uh, but my uncle did never talked about it to okay. his sons or his wife or anything. So it was a, uh, it was the uh, experience that uh, just needed to be kept under wraps from things he'd seen. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and you know, they, they call the uh, World War II uh, military guys the greatest generation. And, and I totally believe it after, uh, uh, you know, doing some doing some other interviews and talking with some people. And now uh, of the era of the Vietnam veterans becoming uh, very senior citizens and that I, I make sure to thank them. Uh, my birthday, my age, was fortunate enough to miss the uh, draft by a year and a half. And uh, uh, yeah, but I, I was I, yeah. What was that? I was the same way. Just missed the draft by like three years. Yeah. They, they ended it. So, uh, but uh, one thing I was interested in is if if what you know about your father's. Um, experience and service on the the Pennsylvania and the, the the question I had was if you know when he was uh stationed and assigned to the ship because she has quite the history yeah yeah well she didn't get too damaged at pearl 
And he enlisted right after Pearl when basically they went around to all the uh, in the Midwest in, in Iowa where he grew up and I did that they went around from farm to farm uh, enlisting military age soldiers in the army. And he got wind of that and he thought he had a better chance of survival or he thought the Navy was more fitted for him. So he got on his horse and rode horseback to the county seat and signed up for the Navy. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. And and uh, what's really interesting about that is in that whole generation, they had a duty and they they stepped up to it. And uh, anyway, he got assigned, and then uh, I don't know how soon it was after he got sworn in on the courthouse steps, uh, which a few other guys who I was privileged to get to know as I grew up, and they were still friends with him. Uh, then he went to Great Lakes Naval Academy in uh, it's a north of Chicago, and uh, for basic training and. He couldn't swim. Well, neither can his oldest son, and that would be me. And uh, I said, well, how did you pass your tests? And he goes, well, they threw you in, and you had a choice. So I managed to just pass. But he said it, it wasn't too rigid that I, I would have had to swim a long ways. So then they, then they rode on a troop train uh, to the West Coast, and I don't know if it was – to San Diego or San Francisco. Um, and uh, at night, I remember him telling me, these are just bits and pieces of things. He, right. he, he told me they couldn't even smoke a cigarette at night and they had to have the shades down because, you know, uh, we were preparing and there's still batteries out there uh, uh, to be invaded on the West Coast after Pearl. Of which... Right. Of which I saw in a documentary that after the war, um, some of the Japanese generals, while being interrogated, said they never had plans to try and conquer us from the West because they knew there were more small arms and privately owned arms in the United States than their army had total. Right. That's that's exactly true. Uh the Japanese wanted to expand their or uh, uh, establish the uh, they called it the Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere, and it was a it was an arc um, from uh, Malaya, where all their where all the oil and all the energy they needed was down down there, Malaya, Java, uh, huh? uh, um, and. Uh, Outward into the Pacific Ocean, and uh, um, including all these islands that uh, U.S. forces uh, eventually hit. But uh, if if he if your dad went on to the Pennsylvania, then it was probably San Francisco because that's where the Pan Pennsylvania went after Pearl Harbor. Uh, Pennsylvania was actually in in dry dock right. uh, when when. Uh, um, the Japanese struck Pearl Harbor along with two destroyers who were in the dry dock in front of her. And uh, there is there is a record of one, at least one uh, Japanese torpedo bomber that tried to torpedo the 
dry dock in order to uh, open it up to the water, and uh, that failed. But most uh, Pennsylvania received, like you said, light damage from a couple of bomb hits, but but the most damage she received was when uh, uh, one of the destroyers, it was either the Casson or, or Downs, was hit, and uh, and uh, the the bomb struck her uh, magazine, so it basically oh. tore hard and tipped her over, and a lot of the debris came back and hit the Pennsylvania. But uh, she was she was lightly enough damage where she was able to uh, be floated uh i believe it was on the 12th five days after the attack she was back in the water and from that point um um a couple of weeks after the attack she headed to san francisco and uh from february uh, uh, from so she was in san francisco for some repairs and from february through july of 42 uh, she took part in patrolling along the uh, west coast of the united states and then some and then pretty far outward too towards hawaii um and so your when your dad got on maybe sometime during you know at around that point um yeah if you're talking the first part of 42 yeah he uh when he got to San Francisco, and and it's probably where it was. Obviously, you know, I'm I'm just a podcast host. But he uh, he said their first order of business was to tear out the wood deck and put on a steel deck because it was uh, still an older ship with a with a wooden deck on it. Yeah. Uh, he says we and- looked long and hard. The time frame, I don't know. And when when they went out to sea, I know they went to the Aleutian Islands first, and, right? And they did some shelling there, and of course that that was a potential hot spot. There were a couple Japanese uh, encampments or bases or batteries, whatever you call it. I'm not a military guy yep. there, yep. and they helped take care of that. And then they were sent to Hawaii, and uh, he talked about the pineapple groves you know a farm boy from iowa growing up in the 20s and 30s and then you yeah these pineapple groves i said well do you get to eat pineapple oh dole old odom owned them all i says oh yeah but he says we uh my dad was smaller in stature compared to myself and i says well i'm sure you didn't leave them there no he says they uh they had guys distract the guards that were on the railroad cars, you know, where the coming right. out, coming out of the plantations. And he says, us smaller, quicker guys, we took our sea bags and we jumped up on the train cars and filled them full and handed them down. Uh, even while the train was moving, threw them down. So we had fresh pineapple to eat. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, the, the, uh, I'm just kind of helping you date things. Um, the Aleutian bombardment was uh, in late April into May of uh, 1943 uh, because she was, uh, uh, that was her first basically being able to use her guns. Right. Um, they, 
they uh and this was very very bad weather up there they couldn't even see the targets they were shooting at because of the fog so it was and the the navigation charts weren't weren't uh, exact up there so so they they did have to uh take care that they didn't run aground and uh but uh the uh that bombardment and of course the japanese had uh, occupied two islands in the aleutians as kind of a feint um to try to distract and uh the u.s navy from the um uh, uh, from the midway island or from uh, the midway island uh, campaign where they were going to strike midway island and then invade and uh, take over um midway island which is farther farther east uh, right. towards the Hawaiian islands um but so he so yeah they were in uh frisco um uh, for repairs and then patrols and they went back to pearl harbor briefly in august of 42 and then late september back to san francisco and they were in the yard there for four months undergoing modernization okay. and uh, it was most importantly new radars and uh yeah, extensive upgrades to the uh anti-aircraft batteries um and to make the anti-aircraft as good and it had just as good anti-aircraft as and new and modern as anything in uh in the fleet at that point and you got to remember that the pennsylvania was an old ship by then it was right. it had been launched in 1916 or or launched in 1915 it was commissioned in 1916 so it did have the opportunity to take part in world war one but it did not because uh the british wanted just ships over there that um that were fueled by coal because that they the british were in charge of fueling the american ships over there and they could only supply coal they couldn't they couldn't supply fuel oil and the Pennsylvania, although it was a new ship, one of the newest battleships in the fleet, um, did not take part. So Pennsylvania was an old ship when, when you're already an old ship and when your dad got on board. Wow. Well, I, I didn't know that, but I knew you would, uh, glean a lot of history, uh, to the yeah. show today and to myself, and I'm sure my brothers are going to make sure they listen and uh, because they, they heard more stories than I did. But, yeah, she took part in a lot of campaigns. I, I know she earned like eight battle stars. Um, she took part in the Gilbert Islands campaign, um, uh, bombarding Macon uh, Island in November of 43, and she was actually gone to sea for 17 months um which was an awful long time and in that 17 month period um they got one they got one week off in sydney australia and that was it i remember him talking about that and i believe there are some uh some coins and some uh paper bills from australia from when he was there right but one week of liberty in 17 months was all that crew got. Well, he said it got to the point, you know, they, they, they couldn't get provisions as they wanted. And it would come over the loudspeaker, you know, that they would uh, 
today's meal was beans and baking powder biscuits, and the next day it was baking powder biscuits and beans. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, I can I can imagine. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, she you know Marshall Gilbert Islands, the Kwajalein Atoll, and the Marshall Islands. That was late. That was early 1944. Um, and interesting uh, thing about Kwajalein Atoll is it's 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 got a huge lagoon. It's 60 miles long. And the wow. thing about it, when they would bomb, it was an old battleship, right? So the, so all the old battleships could not keep up with the fast carriers and the fast battleships. Okay. So the fast newer battleships, you know, like the North Carolina and the, the New Jersey and I, the Iowa classes, when they came out, they would run with the carrier, fast carrier task forces. Old battleships were used to bombard invasion sites, and they did plaster them. Yep, for for days on end. And and uh, I remember him telling me that when you know they had two turrets, uh, and when and I, what size were they? Eighteen inch guns. I no, I think uh, I I. They were 14 or 16-inch guns on the Pennsylvania. Okay. Well, he said when they'd be bombarding the islands, that ship would literally rock from the, uh, the, the uh, what do they call it, the recoil of the guns. Uh, they yeah. had to watch how they shot them, or it would have really made a mess of uh, trying to trying to work in, in that position and, you know, trying to get some rest uh, with guns going off constantly. Yeah. And yeah. I know in his diary, this is pretty cool. My little brother had his diary and just recently, and I haven't gone through it yet, he posted it on a private site and he typed it all out because the ink and the handwriting was nasty. In fact, yeah. if, let's go back to the Aleutians. I think I think he said they lost six or nine men one day uh, up there that he he put that in his diary. But um, yeah, he was he was always uh, talking about those guns. They they put a lot of ordnance on a lot of islands. Well, they they did, and uh, you know, starting in '44, uh, you know, the Navy. The, the Navy was huge by then. Um, they were able to get closer in their bombardment so they could uh, bombard from short range, 2,000 to 4,000 yards, because it was more, the short range was more effective to take out Japanese blockhouses and seawalls and uh, defensive emplacements like that because you could target the Japanese. Um, positions from their gun flashes oh, and use sure. those use those as the aiming points um so that in close bombardment was a lot more effective and the old battleships were the ones that had been trained to do shore bombardment so they were the most effective at it um and in the guam operation the there were numerous days that they bombarded Guam in mid-July of 44, getting into close range again. And the, the, so from my research, uh, 
that the that operation that Pennsylvania has uh, expended 1,800 rounds of 14-inch ammo and over 25,000 rounds of 5-inch and uh, oh. 40 millimeter and 20 millimeter ammo, and it, it, they were in this uh, thing I read. They were it was probably the greatest amount of ammunition that any ship has ever fired in one operation. And no per, no losses in personnel uh, and, or casualties from any kind of accidents or anything in that bombardment. So they knew what they were doing by then, um, and they yeah. had it down. They had it down to a T. And, well, you, uh, learn, you learn from experience. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know what percentage of of uh, the uh, population. Because there were a lot more farms in in the country than there are now, and uh, all these farm boys knew how to implement, uh, change up things, build, come up with a better idea because they were right. on the farm. So I'm sure that contributed a lot to to, uh, for lack of better words, figuring it out. Oh, the the overall competency of the crew. Yeah, it had yeah. to have. Well, except yeah. for except for one guy, and my dad didn't have anything to say about it, but he said that we had these 90-day wonders come along. They'd spend 90 days and ship out. And one of them was Johnny Carson, so he calls that his claim to fame. Really? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and dad was a ship fitter, which is basically a mechanic. And he, he worked in a blacksmith shop before and farmed with his dad before he went into the Navy. And uh, so so he was a mechanic, and okay. he, had, he had a lot of stories to tell about repairing things and the demeanor of some of the other shipmates, especially the Marines. And, uh, okay. and the Marines were always, basically, they, as he would say, we're fighting men. We we don't unload steel. We don't unload all this stuff. But uh, when their commanding officer got them lit up, they had to go do that begrudgingly because they were fighting men and they weren't going to load and unload. Uh, I, I don't know if they call it freight or supplies or whatever. But right. but he had he had those stories to tell, which which was kind of fun and, and it was funny. You never knew when one of these stories was going to pop up, but something we maybe were doing or he correlated it to to the time we were doing something or experiencing something. He goes, well, back on the USS Pennsylvania. And then he would tell us a two or three sentence stories, story and that would that would come out from that. But uh Dan, we're we're approaching the time. I don't like to keep my guests holding, but boy, I I've got more dad stories to tell, and you have more factual stories to tell because we you know we got to talk about the surrender uh, of Japan on the on the Big Mo, the Missouri, and why it ended up there. Uh, we have to talk about some of the fun antics those guys had. They played on each other uh, while they were at sea because there was a lot of downtime. And plus some historical uh, battles that they were on. So can that say, yes, I'd love to do another show with you, Dan. Sure, sure. sure. We can do it. Again. 
Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll set up a time and a schedule. And ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you listening. This time flew by today because Mr. Vickstrom brought a lot of memories uh, of my dad to the forefront of my gray matter vortex. And he is very, uh, very well schooled on Southeast, uh, the South Pacific, I almost said Southeast Asia, but that was a whole nother war. Uh, so uh, I want to pre- thank you, Dan, for joining me today. And ladies and gentlemen, please stay tuned for the next episode. It will be called part two with Dan Vickstrom. Until then, bye-bye. <laughs>